Hello everyone, welcome to the 39th episode of the Socially Distanced Podcast. My name is Bill Bodkin, I am the editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com. I'm going to have the uh, ceremonial duties uh, for this episode, as, you know, which is a very fancy way of saying I'm going to be your host. Uh, I'm a happy guy, I've got my Christmas tree up, we are recording this 10 days before Christmas, and only a few short days away from the finale of The Mandalorian. Of course, we are in our Mando in Music mini-series, and I am joined contractually every single week by the super reluctant, constantly tired, Al Manorino. He's the managing editor of ThePopBreak.com. Al, how are you? I'm great. Uh, I am always tired. You are. uh, Because... If I'm not working, I'm with my son. You were tired who, before uh, he was born. Let's just get over. A hundred percent true, but he is um in full terrible twos mode now. Mm-hmm. So that's you. fun. Oh. We got the hitting, we got the throwing, we got the tantrums. It it just came out of nowhere. And, that, uh, and that's just, just what you're doing. I can only imagine what Parker. That's is just doing. me. He's he's on a whole other level. It's been uh, it's been fun. Hopefully we can brighten your day with this podcast. We are joined by a illustrious panel. Anne would be the correct word, not the, as Al tells me, he's going to be RB. We are joined by the always prepared, always thorough, always succinct, television editor and podcast guru of thepopbreak.com, Alex Marcus, making his return to the Socially Distanced Podcast. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm really good. I promise I'm going to talk less about crying this episode than the last one we did. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but I was like, please stop reading my away messages on the podcast. No, it's funnier this way, Al. Uh, we are joined making her third appearance on the podcast, second in the Mando and Music series. She is the editor, empress, and empresario. I'm spelling with an E this time because I like three things in a row, of anime and comic books on thepopbreak.com. Rachel Fre- Freeman, straight from the Steel City. What's going on? Hi, Bill. Good to be here. I'm excited uh, to be back and talk about this episode. So, And what's awesome is that you and Alex wrote the last two reviews of The Mandalorian on the site, so it's very yes. cool. And we would be remiss if we did not have one of the most wonderfully named human beings on the face of the planet with us, Mr. Ken Grandpierre, with his record-breaking 150th appearance on the podcast. Ken, welcome back. Thank you for having me. I love Star Wars, and I love talking about Star Wars, and this is a good day. Yes, it is. Now, this portion of the podcast is usually what I like to call the snacks and beverages part of the podcast, where I just randomly ask everyone what they're drinking and ask dumb questions like, Flaming Hot Cheetos, why? Instead, we're going to be talking about something very Star Wars related. Now, last Thursday, recording this on the 15th, last Thursday, uh, Disney had a basically Avengers Endgame and Infinity War combined runtime investor call, which they made open to the public on their website, where they basically laid out every property someone could make a logo for that is going to end up streaming or on television, regular television, in or in the theaters. 
Um, this was done because, as you know, Disney has lost literal billions this year due to no movies being released in the theaters outside of Onward and Mulan and the park closures and, you know, the time we live in. So this investor call basically laid out uh, what Bob Chapek, who is one of their who is one of their head muckety mucks there. I don't know his official title. I know he's succeeding Bob Iger as official muckety muck at Disney. And he made a statement earlier this year, earlier this fall, I should say, saying that Disney is going to be putting a huge focus on streaming. So they just said, hey, this is what we have going on. And the world was abuzz with that. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because one of the main talking points was the sheer amount of Star Wars content we're going to be getting real soon. And like I said, the always prepared Alex Marcus prepared a nice document for me to read to tell you about all the really cool stuff that is coming. So, within what Alex and many will be calling the Mandoverse, of course, we will be getting the Mandalorian Season 3, because if they didn't do that, that would be the dumbest thing in history. That will be dropping roughly around Christmas 2021. A series that we kind of all knew was going to come or at least we hoped, based on her appearance this season on The Mandalorian, uh, Ahsoka Tano is getting her own series sometime, presumably. Now, all these dates I'm telling you are tenuous and, te- you know, can change at any time. This is how the way the world works. The Ahsoka Tano series supposedly coming in winter 2021, of course, starring Rosario Dawson in the lead role. We're also going to get a late 2021 release of Rangers of the Republic. Now, this is a series that's going to be taking place in the timeline of The Mandalorian. Personally, I hope this is a buddy cop feature featuring the two X-Wing pilots who saved Mando from the uh, Space Spiders. And if Dave Filoni can't do it, let's just replace him with Ben Falcone, who is Melissa McCarthy's husband. Because they look pretty much the same. Uh, uh, And... Of course, there will be some sort of climactic crossover event planned between all these shows because that's smart business. There are two other, there's a few other shows, two of which we had already heard of in the early days of Disney+. Plus. We saw a a slight sizzle reel of the Andor series. Of course, this is based on the character of Cassian Andor, which was a central character in Rogue One, played by Diego Luna. This is going to be... This is a series created by Tony Gilroy, you might know from Michael Clayton and the Bourne franchise. Also going to be starring Alien Tudyuk, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Pirate Steve from Dodgeball, who is K2SO. Stellan Sarsgaard, Fiona Shaw, Kill- Killing Eve, and Genevieve O'Reilly, who re- reprising her role as Mon Mantha. That's coming in 2022. We're also... Now, yes? I have to interrupt you, because how can you mention Alan Tudyuk and not say that he was watching Firefly? Well, that's funny you should mention, because the rumor in Induendo on the Garbage Train is that there is a Firefly reboot series supposedly coming to Disney+. Plus. This is all rumor and speculation. However, keep that in your back pocket. <laughs> you're welcome for that interjection. Rachel, anytime you interject, it's always solid gold. <laughs> we also got an update on the uh, Deborah Chow-directed who is, of course, known for The Mandalorian, Better Call Saul, and Jessica Jones, series Obi-Wan Kenobi starring Ewan McGregor. Big news coming out of that. Hayden Christensen will be returning uh, to the series as Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader. We're also getting some shows which we don't know 100% about their release date yet. One, 
will be a Lando series written and directed by Dear White People's Justin Simeon. Um, no confirmation if Donald Glover or Billy Dee Williams would be starring, nor do we get a release date. Uh, there's also The Acolyte, which is uh, done by uh, Russian doll creator Leslie Headland. Uh, we're also getting a uh, droid animated. In the animated uh, department, we're getting a droid story. We're also, we saw a Clone Wars spinoff, The Bad Batch, which we saw a sizzle reel on due in 2021. We're also getting a uh, Star Wars anime uh, an short anthology series called Visions, which sounds super cool. We're, and then in the movies department, being released supposedly on Christmas 2023, will be Rogue Squadron, uh, directed by Wonder Woman's Patty Jenkins, of course, based on the popular video game series. And we are still hearing the rumors of an untitled Taika Waititi Star Wars directed feature. And in the um, in that announcement, in the Star Wars announcement, it's like, hey, we're getting a Willow series on Disney Plus, which to me, awesome. So guys, I did that was Dad's story time right there. A lot of information there, much like that four hour information dump that was the investor call. What series are you most excited for, Alex? You're the, um, you've been on the show the least amount of times. So I'm going to start with you. Okay. Well, it's a lot to look forward to. Um, but I def I think that the one that I'm most excited about is the one that seems like weirdest and the most on the, off the beaten path. And that's the Acolyte, the Leslie Headland project. We don't know a ton about it yet, but I love her. I loved Russian Doll. It was one of my favorite shows of, uh, last year when it came out. Uh, and I just really like the idea that it's taking place 200 years before anything that we've seen uh, previously. And it, the way that they talk about it, and they only give us a very little bit of information. And it, all they said was um, it was going to be a mysterious thriller set uh, during a, like amidst a shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers. And that just sounds like super cool. And uh, I can't. I'm. A fan of Star Wars, but I'm not like reading all of the novels and and comic books and like watched all of the animated stuff and played all the video games and all. Like I'm not like a super diehard fan, so I like the idea of just like learning about a different part of this universe that I've never seen before. So that one is definitely the one that I'm most looking forward to. Uh, Rachel, I feel like I know what yours is going to be, but which one are you most excited for? <laughs> so initially, I know whenever I was like first doing more because I didn't watch the thing I just read it later um I don't have time to sit there and watch that I'll just read the synopsis later but <laughs> but initially when I was reading uh I like Alex was really excited for the acolyte and because I I'm hoping that it's a like a Sith story because we haven't really had something like that and I think that would be really cool if it's about like an emerging Sith um, and a lot of people don't know their history and where they came from and where all their rules came from and everything like that. Um, but what I'm ultimately most excited about is probably, from what I've read, is honestly probably um, Visions. That's what I thought you were going to say. Because <laughs> it's anime-ish. Um, but also, the, the way that it's described, it kind of almost reminds me of um, Love, Death, and Robots. Um, I love oh. the idea of there being different, because it says there's different animation studios involved to tell each little story. And I love that. And I love that concept. And I like typically in my experience when stuff has done that, it's just always really cool little one-off stories. 
Um, so I think that'll be really neat. That one kind of reminded me of, and I'm probably totally dating myself, is the Animatrix. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. Yeah. That's yeah. a big one. <laughs> I've seen an anime in my time. <laughs> uh, KGP. First time I've ever called you that. Uh, what do you What do you have? What's What are you most excited for out of this cavalcade of all stars? So this is gonna sound fake, but I promise that it's true. Uh, what I oh. sorry, my input there. Lucas will have to fix that. But um, this is gonna sound fake. But when I was a kid, I wanted to be a pilot. And a big thing that contributed to that dream was uh, seeing A New Hope when I was like seven years old and the trench run with the X-Wings and, you know, not just the action of the Death Star, but like seeing the look in the cockpit and how the pilots would interact. So from there, I got intrigued and really interested in the Rogue Squadron video games, which are a big part of my childhood. There's also books and comic books. Yes, people are a big dork. And there's like this whole universe and what's essentially rogue squadron is or what it used to be in like the old eu is that it would be like spy slash space cop stories but with the pilots so you have all these things going on concurrently with like the main skywalker story and arguably a lot more interesting than what goes on in the main movies but yeah definitely rogue squadron for me because i mean i mean one because i just love x-wings piloting everything but to me, that's the most surprising where if you would have asked me just like two weeks ago, do you think you're going to get a Rogue Squadron movie? I definitely would have said no. And now knowing that we are getting one, it's like it was personally made for me. And Patty Jenkins is awesome. She's super talented. So I can't imagine that being bad. Hopefully I'm right. I think I'm pretty right. Yeah, I, I figured you were going to say that because we've talked about the, the Squadron's video game on here. And have you been to... Quick sidetrack. Have you have you been to Galaxy's Edge in Florida or California yet? Uh, I haven't, not yet, but I really want to because I know about that game that you could play in regards to the Millennium Falcon and the cockpit. Yeah, I wasn't even going to reference that, which is bonkers. I've been on it, and uh, was actually they have an, a, a besides a life size X wing replica, they have a life size A wing replica. Oh, <sighs> yeah, exactly. Really, we're really nerding it up right now about Star Wars ships. Um, <laughs> speaking of ships, don't know why that's a transition. Al, which one are you? Uh, I, don't, I I couldn't have anything better. I'm sorry. Uh, what are you most excited about about these new properties that were announced? I'm just gonna ignore that transition altogether. I mean, you should. Um, you ignore a lot yeah, of things I say. I truly do. Uh, but you know, I, I that the Investors Day was like. It was like a mini Comic Con, honestly. It was pretty amazing the uh, the amount of content that they they dropped on us concurrently. And like, I was just like, I don't think my heart can take this. And then they're like, "Here's Rogue Squadron, you idiot!" I'm like, "Oh God damn it!" So, uh, yeah, it was phenomenal. Um, and I don't want to say the uh, the dumb answer of I'm excited for everything, which is obvious and the way that we're talking about this stuff. But I I think the thing that I'm I guess the top of my list would be the Lando series. Um, specifically if Donald Glover is involved, I thought his performance of like a young Lando Calrissian um, was one of the best casting decisions ever. I think he is the, you know, the 
modern day equivalent of that coolness that we first saw um, with Billy D and the original just, Harvey Dent. That's exactly that. That's right. <laughs> um, I I want to see with that series the the cool side of Star Wars, and when I say cool, I just mean like I, I want to see James Bond in space. Like, that's what I want to see. And I think that's what that show can deliver. Just like, just very suave and elegant and fun. Like, I think that's what excites me the most about that. Because that's what he brought to the character in the limited screen time that he had in uh, Solo. Uh, Kind of going off what you were saying about the the spy stuff, that's why I'm really excited for the Andor series. Uh, I have said on multiple podcasts throughout the year on thepopbreak.com that... um, I had wished in some ways that Rogue One, a movie I think I might be in the minority on it, but I liked a lot, I thought would have worked way better as a series. Uh, and I, I, like a great spy World War II or slash espionage series within the Star Wars universe. And I, you know, Tony Gilroy being behind the scenes on this, that I loved Michael Clayton a lot. Uh, and I'm like, man, I, this could be a kind of, action-packed, maybe a little gritty. I'm not going to say a hard R here or anything like that, but like a grittier, dark side of back alley type of Star Wars type thing with Cassie and Andor. I love Diego Luna. I think he's a great actor. Loved him in Rogue One. So I'm very excited for that series. And um, I got to say, interest is peaked, though, in Hayden Christensen actually returning to the Star Wars universe after years of just being maligned and, 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 and being associated with the prequels. But teaches uh, what one interesting about that i want to talk about ken uh, talk to ken specifically about this because i think he would have feelings well everyone i was listening everyone has feelings, I, everyone has feelings about this but i was listening to another podcast and they were discussing <laughs> this and they were talking about how like what is the reasoning to bring him back right because james earl jones is the definitive voice of darth vader right he, he they literally brought him back for Rogue One. Um, the the question being is like, what is his use? Because if they're gonna show his face, that's gonna kind of diminish the importance of that, you know, climactic scene in Return of the Jedi, right? Seeing Vader unmasked for the first time, right? If they're gonna just interject more of him unmasked, and who wants to see like ugly? you know, burnt up Hayden Christensen. Probably lots of people. Right? I do. (laughs) (laughs) So you want to see this. No, 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 no. I'm not against him being in it. Like, I'm all for it. it. I'm saying, like, having him in it, what, what is, does that do anything to the, like, the legacy of the character? No, that's a fair question. And I think when you consider how Clone Wars and Rebels has become so integral to, like, the franchise... And we're also getting an Ahsoka show. I mean, when I consider that they're bringing Ahsoka to the forefront in regards to, um, you know, having her own series and Rosario Dawson playing such a prominent role in that, that, I mean, to be quite frank, it would be ridiculous not to have flashbacks that could add more context to the Obi-Wan and the Anakin relationship. Because, I mean, you could even think back to something like Attack of the Clones when they're on that elevator and they're talking about that mission. It's like, hey, remember that? crazy mission we had a couple of months ago that was wild and you're sitting there like would have been nice to see it so <laughs> i think they'll utilize things like that to flesh out their relationship and kind of really hearken to how tragic it is um 
that, you know, Anakin fell. And I think even the scenes where I'm sure we're going to get a scene or two where it's like Hayden Christensen's burnt face. But, you know, I think back to um, this is like super geek territory, but I think it's relevant. I think back to Batman Begins where um, Killian Murphy played Scarecrow. And I remember reading interviews at the time and Christopher Nolan said how uh, prior to hiring Killian Murphy, uh, Scarecrow is going to be such a minor character in regards to the story. But when he had the audition with him and he saw his eyes, he realized like that's something he could utilize in the film that would add a lot more depth. So I think about someone like Hayden Christensen, who you'll probably see scenes where he's like all burned up and scarred, but he'll probably be able to convey pain in his eyes and there'll be some continuity in the fact that he was the same actor that played the guy prior to being hurt. So I think this adds a lot of like depth that might even seem like obvious, but will be like it will resonate a lot more when you watch it. Alex, okay. did you have anything you wanted to add to that? That's fair. Yeah, I'm. I, I totally agree with what Ken's saying, and I, I'm actually looking forward to that as well. I think it's been so interesting to watch, kind of like the culture slowly reconsider their opinion of Hayden Christensen in the in the prequel trilogy. I feel like it was pretty unanimous at the time that he was a disaster, but um, in the last decade or so, I think a lot of like the young people who grew up watching those movies, like in my generation and younger. Uh, have a fondness for it in a way that people at the time didn't. Uh, And I also think that it's just like, you know, when they made those movies, they were making movies in a way that no one had ever made them before. And George Lucas is famously not the best actor director. Um, And uh, it was really hard. And he had actually done a couple of really notable performances just prior to that role. And uh, people really respected him. And then like he made those movies and it kind of just like tanked his whole career. But, like, I don't think anybody gives uh, particularly good performances in the prequel. Like, Natalie Portman, for instance, is an Academy Award-winning actress, uh, truly incredible in so many roles, and she is really not good in those movies either. So I think that it's, like, he had a lot He had a lot of challenges in that role, and I'm really excited to see him get another chance at it with uh, maybe some better material and uh, more opportunities to kind of deliver. Rach, any, uh, any thoughts on uh, the return of young Hayden? Now, old Hayden? Actual Star Wars opinion. Um, I am kind of excited for it. I think it's like Ken said, where I think flashbacks would be utilized very well, especially, you know, if you watch the the animated versions, like, he's very clearly meant to look like Hayden Christensen <laughs> did yes. in the prequels. Like, that's very obvious. Um, and then, too, you know, depending on how they do it, I don't know if they said this or not, but like just because he's walking around with the mask on, they did that before. They can do it again. You know, it can still be Hayden Christensen walking around and maybe occasionally you see his face. But maybe if he only talks, you know, if you see his burnt face, but he only talks when he's got like the mask on, then it can still always be James Earl Jones. Um, I That might yeah. be a little rude for them to do to Hayden Christensen, but they could totally do that. Like I said, they did it before. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was thinking like you would get, even with the burnt face, I was thinking we would get like an Empire moment where it was like where we saw the mask being placed back on his head and you just see a moment. And I think that would be really powerful where I think he's going to be in a lot of flashbacks. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't know how many because this uh, this series also had an episode reduction, I think, at one point. So, not sure how much we're gonna get a, a get of him in this series. But I definitely could see just like a fleeting moment of his 
burnt face, but we get more of him in flashbacks dealing with Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. So. Yeah. I would say, like, the biggest yeah. concern that I have about that project, though, is the fact that it originally was supposed to be shooting last, like, earlier this year. Yeah. It actually, or really, like, late last year, and they shut down production because they were not happy with the scripts, and they majorly retooled it, and I don't believe that Hayden Christensen was going to be a part of this show originally, and now they're kind of building the whole series as if it's building to this kind of, like, big uh, head-to-head matchup between him and Ewan McGregor's character. So I think they majorly retooled the show, and that might be for the better, or it might suggest that they were like, ah, we don't know what to do, maybe let's throw Darth Vader into it. And then, like, you know, so that's the one concern that I do have. It's, they, they've done it before, and they will, you know, do it again. Uh, that's, I mean, Rogue One was uh, apparently a dumpster fire until they added uh, Vader in it. Uh, that's yeah. why they should have made it a series, and it probably would have been a lot better. Yeah. Um, but they did make it a series. It's called Andor. It's coming that's in right. 2022. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very excited by, uh, about that, by the way, because as someone who like routinely shits on Rogue One... You, which you is, routinely do. Uh, Bryant is showing up, Rachel's fiancé. Hey, Bryant. <laughs> as someone who like uh, admittedly will shit on Rogue One and, and say it's A, the most forgettable of the new star Wars films and, and be the most unnecessary. Um, are you? I'm, I'm just stating oh, facts. Solo. <laughs> um, no, I like solo. And every time I rewatch solo, it gets better and better. Oh, I know. So, that's, that's called indoctrination. Al, you should be careful. With that. <laughs> <That's pretty good. laughs> um, Alex, you first zing on Al. Love uh, it. What, Love I, it. what I was going to say <laughs> was uh, my favorite aspect of Rogue One was the relationship between yeah. Cassie and Andor and K2SO. So, oh, yeah. I'm very much looking forward to seeing those characters again and uh, have a lot of room to, like, grow. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. But... Let's stand by all my Rogue One statements. I, we know. I mean, we don't. We don't, just say it. We just. I ignore it sometimes. Um, <laughs> let's get into our first segment of the actual episode dive, which is called the opening scroll for the Mandalorian chapter fifteen, the Believer. Believe it or not, I wrote all this out. We start the episode uh, with uh, Mayfield. Mayfield. I was called Mayfield. Mayfeld, played by comedian Bill Burr, making his return to the series, uh, working on the Carthon Chopfields prison planet. He's sprung from the fields by New Republic Marshal Cara Dune in order to help Mando and company save the child from the clutches of Moff Gideon. Mayfeld's presence is needed because as a former Imperial sharpshooter, he can access the Empire's mainframe which can give them the axe, the exact coordinates of Moff Gideon's ship. Mayfeld takes them to the mining planet of Morak, Morak, which I always, I was just like, okay, that's a random, because I kept thinking of Brack from Brack Show, sorry, uh, where the Empire is mining. Okay, Ken, you'll correct me on this. Rydoium. All right, Ken, I'll take it as a yes. A highly explosive, explosive mineral that's also highly sought after by both the Empire and pirates. Mando and Mayfield, both dressed as stormtroopers due to the fact that there are Imperial bounties on everyone else in their party, 
dress as stormtroopers and hijack a mining cart, but are attacked by pirates. They're saved by TIE fighters and actual stormtroopers, and are able to reach the mining base. Once inside, Mayfeld cannot access the terminal, as his former commanding officer, Valen Hess, might recognize him. Mando, in order to get the coordinates, removes his helmet in plain sight of Mayfeld, and gets the coordinates. However, they're stopped by Valen Hess, who wants to have a drink with them. Infuriated by Valen Hess's uh, recounting of a certain siege that Mayfeld lost a lot of friends and innocent people in, Mayfeld executes his former commanding officer, and Mayfeld and Mando must shoot their way out of the base. Mayfeld and Mando escape, but not before Mayfeld shoots a generator and destroys the entire facility. Once landed, Cara Dune allows Mayfeld to go free, claiming he had died in the explosion. The episode concludes when Mando sends a foreboding message to Moff Gideon. God, that was so expertly narrated, I must say. So, but Bill, I do have a request that next time can you read it like you're reading it to Sophie? Ooh, that's, that's a good. That's a good one. Kind of how I would read it to her. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Just, just, just you very. Just her to sleep. Just flat, <laughs> flat with no emotion. <laughs> well, I mean, it depends on story the story. Time. I mean, no, she loves. She loves to read her story. There is, there is one book I read to her where I do voices. Uh, it's about like this weird tangent. It's this weird urban legend within Disneyland in California where there's this little leprechaun who has a little house there because they built it on his property named Nathan Begora. So I do the voice of the leprechaun, Mickey Mouse, Goofy. I can't do Donald Duck to save my life. But I do all the voices. She gets a huge kick out of it. So I just wanted to do basically an ASMR read of that to lull every... read it in the voice of Mickey Mouse. I was like, oh, oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Mayfield killed a guy. Right in the face. <laughs> it killed a motherfucker. Uh, but anyway, so that's the episode. And, uh, guys, I don't think this was... Uh, I'm going to open it up to the floor. Was this the episode you were expecting? The penultimate episode of, you know, this second season where we're trying to bust... Mayfeld out in order to get baby he knows how to get to baby Yoda so was this what you were thinking of Ken I'm going to start with you when you watch this episode you're like how did you feel about this being kind of a diversionary episode I quite loved it because to be honest if you're going into it I would say and I'm sure a lot of people felt this way I went into this thinking oh it'll be the prison break episode part two and funnily enough, we see them get Mayfield within the first, not even five minutes, like the first two to three minutes. So I was pleasantly surprised with that. And then as the episode evolved, it really did, it really did blow my mind just how Star Wars is still able to go to new planets and still make you feel like you're existing within them, where it's like a very like realized place. And obviously we're only on this planet for like 30, 40 minutes, but um. I couldn't believe how expansive it felt. Like, seeing so much green is nice whenever that happens in Star Wars. And, I mean, the explosions and the action sequences. And you have all these big set pieces and, like, so much um, adrenaline going on. But you still have that really important, pivotal moment where Mando takes his helmet off and gets his we, face we'll get We'll get 
We'll get into the review of the whole episode, but I, so I don't want to spoil that part because that's yeah. a huge talking point we have to get to. So thank you for bringing that up. Alex, yeah, what did you think of, you know, you reviewed the episode. What did you think of this being not a clear, linear, um, you know, story to the rescue of Baby Yoda? Um, I thought that was fine. That didn't bother me at all. I've learned to not have expectations for this show. It's a much more pleasurable experience if you go into it that way. We try to, like, at the end of every episode, I know you guys, like, say, okay, what do you think is going to happen next week? And I feel like that only is going to set you up for disappointment because, really, it's this, it's a very sort of, like, episodic series. It has, like, it tries to, it's very centered around, like, who's the guest star of the week. And so you really never know exactly what type of, episode you're going to get and i think that if you go in with that expectation it can actually be kind of a fun a more fun experience that way um but i thought that the smart thing that they did instead of spending a whole episode kind of setting up a finale they decided to really a set like they decided to give mando the opportunity to really show the growth that he's done over the last season and over the last two seasons, really. And I think that it, it allowed him to have this moment of emotional catharsis and that felt like a climax in its own way. Um, and then it really allows us to then in the last episode, most likely be like a very big action packed um, way to like end the season. So I think that that was smart, like get all of the emotional, like touchy feely stuff out of the way in this episode and set up a big kind of going to war sort of episode next week. That's why you're the TV editor, man. Rach, what did you, uh, what'd you think of this? You know, same question to you, basically. Oh, my heart. <laughs> I felt it in my heart. Um, uh, this, I didn't feel in my heart, but I didn't realize Bill Burr was such a good actor. So like, that was really cool. That, I was like, wow, he killed it. Um, but a lot of stuff that she said we're going to touch on later, I have a lot of opinions about that just like really hit me, um, particularly the very, very end. And I was sitting on my couch, like actively hitting my fiance when, when, Cara, when, Cara, when Cara Dune called him, when Cara Dune, they were talking about the Empire and she was like, they have his kid. And I was like, she said it's his kid! And it just, like, <laughs> hit me in the heart, because he's the Dadalorian. But um, I, I really liked the episode. It's not what I expected, but uh, kind of like Alex said, it's not that I don't have... Ex it's not that, like, I don't find myself expecting things, but I kind of expect that it's not going to be what I'm thinking is going to happen. I expect it to be unexpected, <laughs> um, but I I really liked it. Uh, I am it made it made me super excited for the finale, and I think that's what it set out to do. So, Alfred, yeah, I, I don't think anyone expected this. Truthfully, um, I I was really expecting, and I think we we mentioned it like the Avengers gathering like team up kind of like, you know, the enlistment episode, really. It could have been called that, uh, just just based off of uh, the episode priors, like, you know, we have to get this guy, we have to just build this team to save my kid. Um, this was unexpected, but also really great. Like, I think on paper, this might be the worst episode, but when you actually watch it, it's like one of the, you know, more, more meaningful, one of the deepest, and... 
Um, you know, we'll talk about it more later. I just, um, I love getting to see more of the Empire from the Empire's perspective. You know what I mean? I just like that. I like living in there for a little bit because it makes you makes you root for the good guys because when you can see how the other side lives, you want to really, uh, you know, get back to uh, killing some people from the Empire. Uh, for me, I, you know, I was a little bummed out at first. I'm just like, what happened to my Dirty Dozen, Ocean's Eleven, Rick, I mean, we, uh, you know, jailbreak episode here, guys. I'm like, I love that jailbreak episode so much. I'm like, God damn it. Why are we not doing it again? But, uh, so at, 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 on surface level, the first time I was, I was disappointed because I was like, we're, we're not doing a linear, you know, just like a point by point, like, okay, we need to get to point A to point B. But, uh, as I'll state later, this will be an episode that I'll watch back a few times and I'll appreciate more as time goes by. Uh, definitely a bold choice, but like Alex said, like, and then Rachel, you know, you, you reiterate the point of just don't expect with this series, they're going to, when you're expecting a right turn, they're going to make a hard left, a roundabout and a Jersey U-turn. So, you know, it's going to be something like that. It's going to be pretty rad. And, uh, like I said, in the moment I was like, ah, disappointing. Rewatching it. I was like, smart move. Okay. So let's get into our next segment, which is called, Is the Force Strong with this one? Now, we saw the return of, you know, I guess we can't even say they're guest stars at this point. We saw Cara Dune, we saw Fennec Shand, we saw Boba Fett. Boba Fett with a nice new, fresh coat of paint on his armor, by the way. Uh, but the big guest star here was the return of comedian Bill Burr as the former Imperial sharpshooter Mayfeld. What did we think of his performance and the return of this what was your initial thoughts of this character from season one alex i'm going to start with you your thoughts on initial you know your season one thoughts on mayfeld and did you like bill burr's performance enough to have him come back and what you thought of him in this episode yeah so i wrote about this a lot in my review because it is really kind of like the central piece of this episode uh, Burr coming back in his arc that he gets to have. Um, I really like Bill Burr. I like him as an actor. I think he's very charismatic. He's very funny. He has this sort of like really great working man sort of blue collar vibe that, but like with a level of self-awareness uh, that just really is effective. He's very funny in all of his scenes that he has in Breaking Bad, if you've ever seen that show. Um, and he, he hosted SNL recently and was very good in that as well. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I was glad to see him come back. I wasn't surprised that they kind of uh, beefed up his character a lot. Like in the first season, he's really much more of just this kind of like, I'm just a guy who's doing a job and I don't care about anything. And like, you can't do that over and over again. It kind of gets old. So it makes sense that they gave him a bit of an emotional arc. Um, I think he's great in the episode and I think everything about what he's doing is great. I think it, and I talked about this a little bit in the review, I think it's maybe not the best idea for this series to try to flesh out the emotional reality of stormtroopers, uh, which Bill Burr is is a former trooper of some sort. It's at least by implication, like he says, he were he was uh, in the in the Empire's forces, him and all of his buddies, and like they were part of this siege, and it was a and it was a bloodbath, and he was the only one that made it out alive, and that's like what all of like the emotional kind of like, uh, like uh, you know, stuff that's going on in the episode is built around. Um, 
it makes you really care about him and it makes which is great but then it also makes it hard to then appreciate the kind of like comedic murder of stormtroopers that happens in every other episode and this one you know where it's just like oh isn't it so funny that they blew up and they fell down and haha it's like and that's such like a testament of like it's just a staple of star wars but if you start giving these people like full emotional lives then it kind of makes you seem like a monster and a sociopath to just revel in their in their violent deaths but aren't we all (laughs) so uh, So that really was kind of an issue for me. It was like, don't make me care about stormtroopers and then have me watch them blow up and expect me to be delighted. Like it just, it doesn't super work. And I think they kind of like, they clearly wanted that to be part of the episode, like the sort of moral gray of like, there's just people like living, like he has this monologue about how like the, the planet that they're on the locals, they don't care about the re- the rebellion or the empire. Everybody's just an invading force trying to get their their raw materials, basically. Um, but then they like have the local forces try to like blow up the shipments, and we watch like Mando and Bill Burr like kill like them over and over and over again. And they drop a line like, "Oh, it's it's pirates," but then they're not trying to steal the materials like a pirate would. They're just trying to blow them up. So it seems pretty clear they're more like a freedom fighter sort of deal of the locals. And we just like watch them die over and over again. And I don't think that the show is really ready to have that sort of like moral culpability question. Like it's just a light, fun show most of the time. So it just seems like maybe they bit off a little bit more than they could chew by trying to tackle these like bigger themes about like what it's like to be a regular person in this world and like the moral gray of fighting and stuff like that. Like, I don't, I don't know if that's where we really want the star Wars universe to go. It works well when it's the Jedi, cause it's like the Sith and it's the Jedi. And then like, maybe we can find some sort of a neutral, like white lightsaber deal. But, you know, I think that when you get into more and more of the universe with that approach, it gets a little bit hard to keep everything together coherently. I almost looked at Bill Burr in this is the weirdest uh, comparison. He reminded me in some ways of Lieutenant Hugo Stiglitz from Inglorious Bastards, a former, you know, a former, you know, Empire guy, a former Nazi for Hugo Stiglitz, who turned because he realized that the Empire is just about killing. It's just a, like they're the the wrong side, I guess, is what like that whole thing where he's just like, I got to sleep at night. Because when he was talking about when uh, Valen Hess was talking about that raid that just killed not only innocent people, but all his buddies. And Valen Hess was like, sucks to be them, which like my cr- crass way of saying what he said, like in Bill Burr's just like you know what, you don't deserve to live. You know what, you're a piece of shit, I'm going to kill you, because you, sac- you you know, flippantly sacrificed tens of thousands of people's lives. So I'm wondering if, like, at the, the, on the other side of the coin, is, like, Mayfeld is, you know, kind of turning a page. I mean, he still, he still killed a lot of people, but he was just saying, it's like, you know what, these, these people who are on the Empire, they're still the bad guys, and I'm just getting justice for the people who died i mean i don't know that's just my my thought well that's yeah like well that's like textually what the show is trying to say but the implications of that yeah, it's true. Are, yeah. i think a lot messier than what they want to 
like talk about because when you think about it like what he's saying is you're so cavalier about the death of all of my friends who were stormtroopers and they like their lives mattered and they had families and they had people who cared about them you can't just let them just die like it's nothing and then the very next scene we watch a bunch of stormtroopers die like it's nothing <laughs> and we're supposed okay, to yeah, cheer. I get, I it's like yeah. You know. <laughs> so Ken, I'm going to throw to you. First, let's talk about Bill Burr. But if you want to address what Alex said first, because I think he makes a lot of great points there, um, you could totally do that. Because, you know, hey, floor is yours, bud. Yeah. I mean, I guess in the context of that, it's almost like video game logic. Because I feel like over the course of my lifetime, I've seen this from being a teenager and an adult where video games will, you know, try to have this very profound story in regards to speaking about humanity and like different things about society and then you have to spend an hour or two shooting or slicing a bunch of people <laughs> so i think that's kind of what we're seeing happening in real life i guess in the context of star wars though is that you know specifically like the element of the pirates because you know alex makes a very strong point it's like they weren't trying to steal so how could they be pirates but i guess it's also that thing of like it brings up that moral quandary question that even if there's a purpose behind what they're doing, if they get in, in the way of Mando and Bill Burr and attack them, does that shift around that perspective? And I think the same could be applied to them as well, like Mando and Bill Burr, what they're trying to do in that moment. So I think that's almost kind of what the gray you're seeing there, where it's like, these people have a clear reason for what they're doing, but they're also utilizing violence. They're realistically probably not going to achieve anything without violence, but they're still utilizing violence. So it's almost like, the essence of violence, and you can even apply it to the stormtroopers later on, it almost shifts the conversation. So I think that's what's really interesting because it is fun seeing stormtroopers get blown up, but yeah, they're probably making some kids orphans there. So I don't know. <laughs> but So let's get to, as we've lovingly tr uh, named him, Al named him, Southie Space Trash. Uh, <laughs> Bill Burr, dropping it, he's in Star Wars. So let's get, what did you think of Bill Burr's performance here? I thought he was great, especially considering in regards to how he was in season one. I thought he was okay. I'm quite a big Bill Burr fan, same as Alex. Uh, for people listening who have never seen it, uh, I would recommend looking into Bill Burr's 16-minute rant in uh, Philadelphia. Oh, it's one of the best things of all time. But I digress. It might have been six minutes, but I digress. Anyway, seeing him in this episode was really great because... The fact that he was able to do a lot more emotionally and also with the dialogue really surprised me because when they, you know, when they kind of showed us that he was going to be in this episode, I didn't really expect much. I just thought it would be like an in and out thing. I, I wasn't really expecting anything profound from Bill Burr, but I do feel like the conversations and the interactions he's had with Mando will have a lasting effect going forward. So I really enjoyed that. He really killed it. Rachel, your thoughts. So, well, one, Bill Burr, is he the only stormtrooper that doesn't miss? That was going to be my point. He's like, <laughs> he kills everybody. Um, well, they did say he's an Imperial sharpshooter. Imperial sharpshooter. I was going to say Finn. Well, yeah, Finn. He's so mi he misses so a bunch of shit. So out of all the stormtroopers, there's... There was a whole the, point the with him that was missed. <laughs> sorry, Rich. Sorry, Rich. Sorry, sorry. It's also the anniversary of Last Jedi coming out, so our things. I think what I think what we've learned is that the stormtroopers can't shoot when they have no moral conscience. But as soon as they develop like self awareness and a and a moral compass, then they get excellent they really shooting skills. 
You're gonna get like it's an email. Force. You're gonna yeah, get an email from horrible. Kathleen Kennedy being like, "Bro, <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing?" I bet we'll find. I bet we'll find out that Bill Burr is force sensitive too, because he's gonna like lean against a wall, and they're gonna be like, "No, see, that's what that meant." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus, jumping bits. Um, um. Anyway, Rachel, as you were saying. Yeah. So. Uh, to what Alex was saying, I, I agree. I think that is too much. I do think that's too much for them to handle, but I think the idea and what I'm hoping at least is that it's planting, like, like what they did with Finn, it's planting this seed of the idea that like, Hey, they're not all bad. They're not, you know, some of them do have a conscience. They're not all just like random mindless dudes that get blown up but and i do hope that maybe we'll get some kind of series that addresses that um i think that would be very cool i think that would be very interesting but i don't think we have enough again from this episode to broach that mm-hmm. um but on the subject of bill burr i'm not gonna lie i forgot who he was <laughs> like, you, there's not, a lot that has happened not bill burr yeah not bill burr but his but bayfeld I totally, when they were like, we're going to go bust him out, and then you see him, I was like, who's this guy? <laughs> like, I completely forgot. And then as they went on, I was like, oh, yeah, that guy. But, like, that's just how little he stuck out to me in season one. But this episode, like, he's going to stick with me. His acting is going to stick with me. I'm going to remember his character. I'm going to recognize him the next time I see him. Um so yeah, I think he I think he did a great job. I think he nailed it. I think he did a good job of being both emotional when he needed to be, but also comedic. I also liked that he is one of the only people that's not afraid to basically kind of call Mando out on his beliefs. I thought that yep. that was really important and really powerful with his character because everybody and it's fine. You know, these other people are his friends. They're like, you know what? He's Mando. It's it's fine. He can do what he wants. But the fact that, like, Mayfeld is like, no, like, why? <laughs> tell me, tell me why. Tell me why this is your, like, explain it to me. And I just thought that was really cool because you see Mando in this episode start to question things. Um, yeah. And I just really liked his, what what he brought in that regard to Mando's development as well. Al? Uh, you guys are all making pretty great points. Uh, I don't want to retread, but I mean, I loved his casting from season one. I did remember who he was, Rachel, uh, just to shit on you a little bit. I'll uh, show no. off. Oh. <laughs> I'm Al and I remember everybody. <laughs> <laughs> always, no, um, always take pot shots at Al. Totally fine. Yeah, just take him while you can. Um, I love I loved him in uh, season one. I thought uh, once you know once they mentioned uh, breaking him out, I was expecting, you know, what we said before uh, a full prison break part two, um, and I'm so happy we got this performance out of him instead. Um, he's had a great year, by the way, uh, just in general acting wise. He is the best part of uh, King of Staten Island. If you guys have not seen the, the latest Judd Apatow film starring Pete Davidson, Bill, you will you should watch it just for his performance alone. It's fantastic. I second that. He's a, 
amazing in that movie. He's, really, he's like the heart of the film. He really is. It, it is awesome. And, oh, he uh, plays the guy dating uh, Mr. Tomei, right? Correct. Yeah, so um, I, I was actually disappointed at the end of the episode while, while we talk more about the plot. Um, he is, you know, um, basically released from prison. They, uh, he's declared dead from this adventure. And, uh, you know, he gets to uh, walk off into the sunset. And I was hoping that we would get to see him in, you know, the final yeah. uh, Big Yoda saving episode. And uh, it's it's sad because we just got this... Not not even character development. We just got more inside what makes this uh, character tick, and we are in that world. And just like Ahsoka, you know, same thing. We just uh, it was like a very fleeting moment that we didn't get to uh, you know continue. I, I would have liked a two parter with with him over, sadly, a two parter with Boba Fett. I, I would have liked to just see Boba Fett in the following uh, you know the finale again over. Uh, Seeing him twice in a row, I'd rather see Mayfield, May Mayfield Belt twice yeah. in a row. Uh, I'll keep my thoughts real quick. Uh, I was a big fan of Mayfield in season one. I felt there was a lot that was left on the table with him, especially when they had that kind of uh, standoff where they're debating on whether they're killing that uh, uh, you know Republic officer on the on the jail ship. I thought he a prison ship, I should say. Uh, I felt like Mayfield was the guy. It was a guy who didn't want to kill that kill him and then tonks from harry potter kills him uh i felt like, I'm like man like he he's so good i would love to see more of him especially with his little robot gun that comes off from his shoulder and shoots people but we didn't get that sadly but i love bill burn this i love we gave him a whole redemption story my big disappointment like al i was expecting him to jump back on slave one and goes like you know what i owe you one because uh, remember, he didn't like do that much, you know. <laughs> I mean, Mando got the, he got the co- he got the GPS coordinates essentially. So I was hoping he'd be like, yeah, you know what, I owe you one. I'm coming with you. But uh, maybe that means we'll see him in season three. So I'm okay with that. So uh, that moves us on to our next segment, which Rachel, I'm going to you first on this because you brought this up to me in a conversation before. It's called Stop, Baby Yoda time. There was literally no Baby Yoda in this episode. No baby Yoda. Rachel, <laughs> thoughts, thoughts, oh, I was going to say thoughts and prayers. Thoughts on <laughs> this part of the episode. I mean, Jesus, this got, this got dark. <laughs> well, I mean, come on. That's why you shouldn't let me host shit. I'm a, better, uh, I'm a better responder to things than I am a host. But, Rachel, you brought this up to me that there was literally. Debatable. Yeah, I mean, I'm better. I mean. Whatever, Al. I mean, I suck. I get it. But it's just like, what'd you think of the lack of Baby Yoda in this episode? Well, for one, I did message Bill in all caps while I was at work. And I said, wait, what about Baby Yoda time? And I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. No Baby Yoda. Um, I, of course, will always prefer to see Baby Yoda than not see Baby Yoda especially at the end of the last episode where he was like throwing stormtroopers around with his little force powers. That was adorable. Just brutally, <laughs> brutally massacring stormtroopers. Choking the life little, out of people. Little, those little baby. Yeah. Um, but I thought that for what this episode was, um, I liked it because you're kind of right there with Mando. 
like he didn't get to see him. He hasn't gotten to see him yet. And you, you're feeling that like missing that he's feeling. You don't, you don't get the comfort of seeing, Oh, he might be handcuffed, but he's just like chilling in his little cell. He's fine. Like you don't, you don't get that reassurance just right. like Mando doesn't have that reassurance. Um, so I thought that again, while I would obviously love to see baby Yoda, I thought that it, it worked for what this episode was trying to express. Ken Grandpierre. Yeah, I was pretty surprised. I mean, kind of pleasantly, because I think it leads more to the mystery of, like, what's going on. And I imagine, obviously, a lot will be revealed in the finale. But I did find myself thinking several times, like, okay, clearly he's still in the clutches of Moff Gideon. But what's exactly going on there? Like, that, I mean, that guy seems pretty sinister. I mean, the fact that the last time we saw Moff Gideon, he was, you know, taunting uh, Baby Yoda and doing with a smirk and a very confident one at that. I mean, that's pretty terrifying. So, yeah, I, hopefully the little dude is okay. Al? Um, I, I, I was happy for the Baby Yoda pause break, mostly because, just like you guys, I was wondering where he was, because he's our sweet, sweet little baby boy. Sweet little and boy. that made... And that made me really excited for the finale. Like it got me even more pumped because this episode was so, it was not, it wasn't a bottle episode because they moved around, but it was very singular in the storytelling. There wasn't any, you know, hints to the future in terms like that. Like this is the course that they're going on now, right? Like they have to get him so they can find the coordinates so they can save the baby. Like this is like, we're just ramping up to the, you know, the final moments of the season. And I, I, I feel like this was a two-parter. This is, you know, your, your little prequel into the finale. And I think uh, a nice, uh, you know, a nice Grogu break was needed to make me care even more about his safety. Alex Marcus. I actually heard that Grogu requested off this week so he could go party with Timothy Chalamet on the French Riviera. So that's why it was in the episode. What a diva. But but I think that they worked around it well, because what really was good about him not being in the episode is that it builds the stakes for the finale, like you guys were all saying. Like, it's you could have had one scene with him, like, tied up in chains or whatever, <laughs> and everyone would be like, oh, no, they have to hurry. But I think it's better where you just don't know what's going on at all. And it's just, and you're stuck kind of in mando's like emotional reality of like not knowing if he's even alive or not right like that really adds to the to the tension and to the drama that we're going to see next week so i think that was bet a better choice than just doing like a single like check-in on what's going on that lasts a couple minutes that is basically just a recycling of everything that we already know which is that like he's captive he's being held prisoner they're trying to extract his metachlorians so that way they could create a clone of the emperor i guess that right? m that's, count that's they're talking happening. about <laughs> so <laughs> we already know all of that so it wouldn't have really done any good to see it and i think it's more dramatically there's a lot more dramatic tension in not showing him this episode not much i'm going to add to this conversation to be honest with you it's less is more that's exactly what they needed and i think our stop baby yoda time was really Mando's message to Moff Gideon at the end, which we will talk about in our next segment. Is this the way 
Yeah, we're blowing through this episode, despite how many things we've had to talk about. This was a quick episode, full of a lot of stuff. Uh, so basically what we do is, every week, we rate the episode from 1 to 12 parsecs, because nerds. And uh, we're going to just give our overall thoughts on the episode, as well as, you know, I'll, ask, I'll throw a couple caveats out there. One something we haven't really talked about, Mando's speech at the end, his message, I should say, to Moff Gideon. And after that, we will talk about what we think. After we give our ratings, we will talk about what we think is going to happen in the finale. So, Alex, I'm going to start with you. Uh, how would you rate on a scale of 1 to, tw- 1 to 12 parsecs, of course, 12 parsecs being the highest rating you can give an episode, uh, how would you rate it and give us your overall thoughts on the episode? Well, if I was just rating Mando's ability to be cool under pressure as a secret agent, it would be 12 out of 12 for sure, because he just totally (laughs) killed it. He was great at that. (laughs) But uh, no, for the whole episode, I don't know. I would say probably like around like a seven. It was enjoyable. It was fun. It gave you what you wanted. There was some emotional catharsis like we talked about, and it set up the stakes for the final episode. So it kind of did everything that you needed it to do. Um, And it was an enjoyable experience. Oh, yeah. That's where I would say. I will ask you uh, a question, which everyone else will answer, too. The big moment here is Mayfeld is one of the first human beings to ever see Mando without his mask. And he even says to him, he says, look at what you're doing. You're even breaking your own rules that you're so adhered to. What did you think about seeing the luscious face of Pedro Pascal? I don't know why I said luscious, because he doesn't have a fucking beard or long hair. But, um... Let's just say the mustachioed face of Pedro Pascal on screen and what you thought of that big mask reveal that he pulled it off in front of a whole bunch of humans. Listen, I'm always happy to see Pedro Pascal's face, obviously. No complaints there. Um, But I will say that I genuinely, like, I thought that that was a very nice moment for his character to really show the commitment that he has to Grogu and to that bond that they've established, that he really will do whatever it takes and sacrifice anything, even the things that he holds most dear to him, which are his beliefs, his dogmatic belief in this religion that kind of saved him and gave him a purpose. So I think that that was just an incredibly important moment for his character. Um, And uh, I, but I do have to say that I don't super care that like he saw that like Bill Burr saw him and stuff. Like, I think that's like, all right, well, whatever, like a room full of people saw him. I think the biggest issue is that like he actually was willing to take the helmet off, right? Like that's a huge moment. And I think that worked as a moment. And I, and I really liked that. Ken. Yeah. I love that moment. Uh, I mean, sidebar when Pedro Pascal was uh, in game of Thrones, which I imagine was a lot of people's big introduction to him. When, uh, spoiler alert, he eventually dies. I remember being sat in a living room going like, really? That guy? That really handsome, like, sexy dude just died? But I digress, because this is a different franchise altogether. Um, (laughs) Died is such an understatement for what happened to that man in that episode. (laughs) He gets the shit killed out of him. (laughs) Yeah, I've never seen anyone have their eyeballs explode into their head before, so that was a fun thing to witness. Yeah, Um, a a fun aside to to that. um, We were living in our first apartment, me and my my now wife, uh, but then girlfriend, we were living in my uh, this apartment, and that was like, what, like season three, four Game of Thrones? 
four. So yeah. so we're in season four of Game of Thrones. She does not watch the show at all. And I was watching it with like my family and stuff before we moved out. So we're now in our apartment. This episode's on. So su- super excited. It's the mountain versus the uh, the viper, I believe. Yep. Was the uh, Yes, the, the the big. I remember seeing like posters for it and shit, like it's a like fan made poster like stuff. Heavyweight title it was fight. so cool, and I remember screaming at the top of my lungs in this apartment. Like my 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 wife ran in the room and said, "What's happening?" Because like she was worried <laughs> that I was getting murdered, and I'm like, "I just watched the guy's head explode." It's fucking yeah. gross. My wife, who is very, who's very cool, calm, and collected at all things, yeah. we both watched that episode and both of were like, "Holy shit! What happened there? That was not, yeah. what was that?" And it was, it was one of the genuine, one of the more genuine surprises of that series for sure. <laughs> I'll uh, just bring up one more aside, just to give a nice, leave a nice term for people uh, who are listening to this episode. But me and a good friend of mine. We have a term we like to utilize with movies and TV called, um, oh, they did a Rachel. And it's in reference to The Dark Knight when Rachel Dawes dies. And the way Maggie Gyllenhaal's character dies is that she gets blown up. And the the way it's shot is that, you know, all the fire and, like, the flash that happens behind her, she's unmistakably dead. Like, you don't, you walk away from that going, like, yeah, she is, she is dead. So like when Pedro, dead. Pas- <laughs> yeah, so when Pedro Pascal died in Game of Thrones, me and my friend were like, Oh, that's a Rachel. Yeah, that's a Rachel. <laughs> Did you react like that, or it's like, you know, whatever? It's a Rachel, but, yeah. guys. Uh, <laughs> and as, and for, as the one Rachel on the podcast, you can be like, oh. first off, guys, I take. I umbrance. don't know how I personally feel about that, but I I respect it. Would you Would you rather be? Uh, would your name rather signify uh, an awful, horrific murder, or like a really trendy haircut from the '90s? Which would you prefer? Oh, horrific murder. I knew okay. it. I knew it. If I've known anything about you, Rachel, it's your love of murder. Going back to the topic at hand, I I love I, when I watch something, I can sometimes get lost in the visuals. So even if the story is lacking in some way, I can usually find myself attaching to the visuals, especially from how things are shot and how colors utilized. So there definitely were some moments where I felt like the story was kind of linear, but the way that the characters were interacting with their environment and how it was very integral to the story, I thought was really strong. Um, Bill Burr was great. The action was awesome. Uh, seeing Boba Fett with like, you know, freshly painted armor. That was pretty cool for my little inner 13 year old. But yeah, I would say I would give this like an eight out of 12. Like it's not the strongest episode they've done, but it does set the stage really nicely for the finale and I think it's going to be one of those things where the finale, depending how that goes, will actually make us either appreciate or like this episode less. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. So 8 out of 10. A 12. 8 out of 12. So, you know, Rachel, you know, our favorite murder. <laughs> um, what would you rate this episode? And what would you think of Mando's proclamation to Moff Gideon? So... Well, one to touch on, first to touch on kind of what um, Alex and Ken already touched on, which is um, the scene where he takes off his helmet. I just thought I had the same reaction. Like, I thought that was so powerful because <laughs> now, granted, later they murdered everybody who saw his face except Mayfeld. But at the time, he didn't know they were going to do that. So 
the meaning is still there. <laughs> um, but like seeing his face and seeing him do that, like one of the things that I love about um, Pedro as Mando is that even with his helmet on, he's so it's so apparent how he's feeling, which is crazy because he's basically this big suit of armor. But like, I always know how he's feeling, which I feel like is very impressive by his body language and the like the aura that he is clearly trying to exude. And you see how tentative he is to take off his helmet and that he does it anyway. And you're just like, oh my God, he did it. He loves him so much that he's willing to like sacrifice this belief for him. Um, and then the message at the end was the same thing. Like, it was equivalent to when Liam Neeson talks to that guy on the phone in Taken, where he's like, I'm going to find you and I'm going to kill you. And like, it was like that powerful, like dad mode, like you took my child and I'm going to murder you. <laughs> and it's just like, it was so powerful. And I love that, like, it's the end of the episode and Moff Gideon, they're like, there's a message for you. And it's Mando just pops up on a hologram and you're like, oh shit, he's coming for you. Um, so I just, I, I really loved those, those moments. Like I said, I felt the, I felt the, the Mando moments were, were very, were very strong with this one. Um, for, for a rating, I honestly, when I was thinking about it earlier today, I was leaning more towards like a seven, seven and a half, but I really thought about it and I'm going to go with an eight simply because those, the big, the, like maybe the episode was a little slower and like Ken was saying a little more linear. The big moments were very big and they were very powerful. And they just like, like I said, like just punched me in the heart where like it just, yeah. <laughs> Any heart, so yeah, heart punch eight episodes, out of, man. Yeah, heart punch episode. I, I'd say eight out of twelve. Al, your thoughts? Oh man, so many. Uh, I absolutely love the end with. Uh, <laughs> first of all, we, we didn't get to talk about the uh, the the super comedy uh, uh, Easter egg, the uh, the TPS reports from uh, oh um, shit, from that's Office right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. Um, I love that. Um, it also kind of reminded me of when uh, Family Guy uh, parodied the Star Wars, uh, the original trilogy with when Blue Harvest, when he had uh, when he was Han Solo, and he said like, uh, "Yeah, nothing, no, you know, uh, everything's fine here, everything's good. H how are you?" Like that whole thing. Yeah, that kind of reminded me with the TPS reports. I thought that was very fun. I feel like that uh, was totally improv too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I would think so. Um, no, I I love that, and I thought when Mando came on screen, I actually laughed because like, oh, this I was like, I can't again. It reminded me of another. It reminded me of Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. It's like all you motherfuckers are gonna pay. Like that entire part. That's basically what I was like. Oh man, Mando's fucking pissed. Ah, uh, that's so fun. Uh, I want to give the episode an eight out of ten as well. I was thinking about that the entire time we were on the podcast. And through no fault of its own, like, the episode was really solid. And at this in the beginning of the season, I think I would... I, I think it felt more like that. It felt more like a, a quote-unquote, like, filler episode. But it wasn't. It was actually super important to the plot. So 
through no no fault of its own does it get an eight like but just comparing it to you know the jedi the heiress or the marshal there's there's no comparison like those were like some of the best episodes we've gotten of the series thus far we know and your love just of Tim- timothy Oliver. oh stop we, i love him i no one loves it, him more than you i i don't know ken could probably yeah, maybe ken I don't maybe know. compete he can might he might compete with me uh no so yeah eight out of ten i think that's a very fair for this episode uh, for me, I give it an eight and a half out of ten out of twelve. Um, I think this episode will be one of the episodes that we come back to uh, as a collective we as Star Wars fans, and we will uh, enjoy more because I think the one thing was we were all expe- like I was just saying, don't expect, but what do we do? We expected, so we didn't get the episode we were really hoping for or really thought we were going to get. So I think when we all go back to it, and I think we're even seeing it in this conversation right now, where we're thinking back to it, like, wow, this was a really powerful episode. This this was a huge redemption episode. It spoke to Mando the way Mayfeld acted. Mayfeld, who was all about himself, who was all about, you know, saving his own ass and making money, says to Mando, when he's, Mayfeld pretty much is assuming he's going to die. He's like, I'm not going to tell anyone. If he makes it up, I'm not telling anyone I saw you without your mask. That's a huge moment there. And I think that also will that will stick with Mando because it's such a big moment of someone who didn't need to say that, said that. And I love that, that ending. That is every dad being like, you mess with my kid, I am going to fuck your shit up. And I really am. And it's, sorry for swearing. But it's just such an intense, it's like, you don't, and the line that sealed it was, he means more to me than he ever will to you. That is a huge statement for Mando, who basically at the beginning of the season was like, I just have this mission from the armorer, and I just got to hit my goals. So, you know, basically I got to get him to a Jedi. I'm done. Now he's like, I'm coming for the kid. This kid means more to me than life itself, basically. Uh, I thought this was a, a good episode, um, but I think we'll look back on this in retrospect and feel it's even better than it was. Much like I think the last Rick uh, Famuia episode, uh, the Prison Break episode, will be looked upon. Because uh, I think in in, at, in the moment, a lot of people were like, eh, I don't get it, I don't like it. But we saw how much it's tied into the second season, and we watch it back, it's actually a very good episode. Now, this is not a real segment, but we are heading into the finale, the big one. Um, predictions on what you think may happen. I know, Alex, we're not supposed to have expectations. We're not supposed to predict <laughs> them. I get it. That's why, you're, that's why you're the TV editor. But start with you first. What do you think, uh, what are you hoping for? Let's say, what are you hoping for for the finale? Okay, well, before we get to the finale, I did want to say two quick things that I didn't sure. get a chance to say yet. Of course. One not nice thing and one nice thing about this episode. Um, the nice thing is that I we haven't talked about it at all, but there's that one fight sequence that happens where he's dressed up as a stormtrooper and he has to deal with the fact that he doesn't have his super cool armor that protects him from everything and shoots out like lasers or whatever it does. And, and, and take I think a that million was, shots from everybody, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And so he actually he had to like adjust on the fly to like not being invulnerable, uh, invincible, basically. And uh, and I thought that that was a really fun, smart sequence where you got to see that like he's not just his armor. He is actually like a really skilled fighter and he can handle himself and he can be smart. 
and in the moment. And that was really, I really liked that. Um, I also like super disagree with all of you about that last scene. I think it's like, it obviously did what it was supposed to do, which was to get you like hyped for the last episode. But I thought that it was really, really dumb because <laughs> number one, like you knew everything that you, everything that he said in that speech, you knew when he took his helmet off, right? Like yeah. you already had the emotional moment. You knew that like, that is the declaration that he means more to him than anything so we don't need him to then like 10 minutes later be like he means more to me than anything like i know we already figured that out and number two why would he announce that he was coming like the biggest element like the biggest strength that he has is that like moff gideon thinks that he can't be tracked that it's like he has no chance of finding him and it's like they have the element of surprise i can blow that i can explain that as a dad you say and do dumb shit (laughs) <laughs> when it comes to your kid, logic sometimes just goes right out the window. No, and then seriously, it is a good point. Like it's, it's just like, why would you say, "Hey, I'm coming"? I disagree. It's a baller move. It's a, it's a baller move. It's a baller move. That's a, was that is that from a, is that from Twelfth Night? It's a clear, it's a clear fuck that guy. Yeah, he definitely, he definitely pulled the flex. He definitely pulled the oh, flex yeah. of like that's a flex of like I know where you are. <laughs> And I'm coming. Yeah, I'm, Alex, I, I get what you're saying, though. I'm not, yeah. not it's it, like, it, it, it's a, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like, come on, just surprise the it's guy. Just, <laughs> it was just, like, that moment was just so clearly, like, for the fans, not for the critics, you know? And so, like, whatever, all the fans liked it. So I guess it did its job. <laughs> but, so what are you hoping for in your heart of hearts for the finale? What I'm hoping for is that you get a re- that we get one really cool fight sequence uh, where all of the crew like get together and like have some really badass moments. I'm hoping that Fennec, played by Ming Na Wen, who I've loved on like a million seasons of Agents of Shield, and that this show has not really tapped into anywhere near what she could do, both as an action star and as an actress. I hope she gets a couple of really good moments, and I hope and you guys might be mad at this, but I hope that he doesn't get. Grogu at the end, and that uh, Moff Gideon makes out with, like, makes off with him at the very end of the episode, and like we were left on a cliffhanger of like Mando has been foiled. I mean, that's that's that that is that's a baller move right there. If, if that actually <laughs> happened, because think about it now, you're that would definitely piss off a lot of people for sure. But also, goddamn, you got to be back for that season three premiere. Yeah, they can't, like, they can't just have, like, if there's no stakes to this show, it's going to start to get boring, right? And the best way to maintain stakes is for him not to win at the end, you know? So that's my, that's my opinion. Also, Giancarlo Esposito in season three, it's a no-lose situation. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen nearly enough of him, so he's, this is not his last stance. There's no way. He's in it for the long haul. Rach, what are you hoping for in this finale? So, one is actually something that Alex kind of brought up, and I actually wanted to ask Ken a little bit about this as the professional. Um, Because they are clearly, it's implied that they are trying to clone, possibly clone the Emperor. And while I think that would be really cool, I'm interested, because that seems very not a Sith thing to do. Um, so I was actually interested. I think it would be cool if we saw, like, little baby emperor clone in a tube 
Um, but also I was curious, uh, just to hear, like, I, like I said, thinking about it, I was just curious to hear from Ken, what you think about like that being a possibility. So it's actually kind of interesting because in the context of star Wars, like obviously the, so in regards to rise of Skywalker, the last film, they don't outright say it, but it's kind of heavily implied that the emperor was cloned. And the idea I know in some, like the newer books, I haven't read a lot of the newer books, but I know the idea is that he was cloned years prior, like shortly, like maybe five or six years after Return of the Jedi, and then just spent all that those decades afterwards biding his time and building his forces up again. It's actually really fascinating in the old EU when um, he is cloned, and it's a younger version of himself, and he's like in his 30s, and he comes back. Uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn plays a big role in that. And it's actually fascinating because Luke goes to fight him with the idea of like, oh, the Emperor's back, got to stop him. And then he sees that it's a younger version and that he's so powerful. And immediately Luke is like, well, we can't beat this. Fuck. And he actually <laughs> like, joins him. You come to find out, I'm spoiling a little bit, you come to find out that he was playing the Emperor the whole time and was pretending that he turned to the dark side. Oh. But it's actually super convincing because at the face of all this might. Like, he has weapons that are stronger than the Death Star. How? I don't know, because Star Wars. But it is something that's really interesting. So, cloning of the Emperor is like a weird old-slash-new Star Wars tradition. I would be intrigued to see if maybe they wanted to, like, take baby Grogu, like, blood and infuse it with troopers somehow, which sounds kind of boring, but, like, if you had, like, Force-sensitive troopers that could, like, wreak havoc, I guess that could be kind of intriguing, like kind of like how far you're going to take weaponizing human bodies. I don't know. Maybe it's Star Wars trying too hard, but yeah, it'd be kind of intriguing to me. If they can have, they're force sensitive. They can aim their lasers better though. <laughs> and That's so good. like, I mean, they could, they could just clone Mayfeld. I mean, <laughs> he don't miss. That's <laughs> true. Just get um, that Southeast space trash and just be like, all right, clone that son of a bitch. It's a lot easier. <laughs> But yeah, basically, I guess, uh, thank you, Ken, for answering my question. Um, but yeah, I guess basically, I just kind of want some kind of idea as to, like, some kind of confirmation as to what they want with him. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be like the, he doesn't have to give, like, his villain monologue and tell us, like, every detail, but just kind of some kind of, like, okay we know at least a little bit why they want him. Cause right now they're, we're just like, why does he want this baby Yoda? <laughs> that like eats frog eggs and plays with this tiny silver ball a lot. <laughs> so true. I mean, few people give an awesome uh, monologue better than Giancarlo Esposito. So I that's, wouldn't be terribly upset. Giancarlo Esposito could read a subway menu <laughs> and you'd be like, shit. That tuna sub there, sounds That great. literally, that's like basically multiple scenes in Breaking Bad. Oh, I can he's imagine. Like working <laughs> yeah. at his, he's like working at his like fast food restaurant as the manager. And he's yeah. like, would you like a combo platter with that? And, and you're I, just like, oh my God, he's amazing. You're like, yeah, I would. You know, supersize it for me, please. Um, yeah. Ken, uh, what are you hoping for uh, for this finale? So there's several things I'm hoping for. And I'll be honest, even though I gave uh, the most recent episode at eight, I mean, we're on Tuesday right now, and I've been spending 
the, ever since watching that episode, eagerly anticipating the finale, just thinking, like, God, I want it right now. Pump it into my veins. That's <laughs> <laughs> the most intense you've been on this podcast. <laughs> my biggest desire is um, Katie Sackhoff back as Bo-Katan, because yeah. she is awesome in anything that she's in, and I feel like seeing her in, like, some Mando action and and that fever passion of, like, getting the Darksaber back would be really interesting, so... That's, like, at the top of my wish list. And I really... I mean, I brought it up last time, and I know it's definitely not the most popular thing. I just want to put a disclaimer right away. I don't want Jedi in this outside of Ahsoka. I don't really care for the whole light side Skywalker thing. But considering what happened when Grogu was on the rock and, like, considering it was implicitly stated, you know, explicitly stated that, like, he is going to get in touch with a Jedi if he touches this thing, I mean... If a Jedi, if some Jedi doesn't show up in this finale, it's a little ridiculous. Like, I'm looking at it, it's like, it'll make me just think that any Jedi who are around, especially, you know, the big one, if if no interference happens, then I just see them as incompetent. And I already see them as incompetent, so I guess I would see them as doubly incompetent. So, uh. yeah, I, I don't want Jedi, but the story has framed it where I'm going to question why no Jedi showed up if I don't see one. So... Yeah, I, I'm intrigued to see how that plays any role. And yeah, just give me bo Give me Katie Sackhoff and all the things. What if one of the well, so final... I, Oops, sorry. Oh, I just I wanted to ask Ken, because you are the guru of this episode, not the Grogu, the guru. Um, <laughs> I wanted to know, like, who, what Jedis are left on the board when we're talking about this period of time? Like, oh, in, Ken Like has a post-Revenge of the like a post return of the Jedi. I think we know there's Luke, but I feel like he's probably not going to just pop Can't. up, but that would be crazy. If he did. So who else is left? Yeah. So it's it. a good question. Technically there's three other ones that we've seen since like Disney has bought star Wars and has done the whole, like, you know, reshuffling. Um, there's Cal Castus, who was like the protagonist in like the Jedi fallen order game. And Ezra Bridger, who is the main character in the Rebels uh, series, we don't know what happened to him. So a lot of people think he might be coming in because Ahsoka, the last time we saw her prior to this, she was going on a journey to find him as well as Thrawn. So his story is very much intertwined with Thrawn. And the third person is someone named, I think her name is Kree, and she's Cal Castus's mentor, who isn't technically a Jedi, but she uses the Force as a lightsaber, so she's a Jedi. What about that, What's more, what about that dude named Kyle you always talk about? Kyle Katarn. So Kyle, who's my, one of my favorite characters, he's from the old EU, and this is something that's really fascinating. Now, this is going to shatter some people's minds in a really funny way, but I'm just going to go on a mini funny Star Wars rant because it's kind of ridiculous. So in the old EU, uh, you know, in the old original trilogy... Like, uh, Obi-Wan and Yoda kind of wax poetic about how none of the Jedis exist anymore, and it's just the two of them, and Luke Skywalker is their only hope. Something that's fascinating about the old EU of the comics and the books and the games is that there was actually a metric fuck-ton of Jedi that survived <laughs> Order 66. Like, at least, like, 50 or 60 of them. And essentially what it was is that they saw the rise of the Empire, survived what happened, and was like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm not going to do any Jedi shit. So there's a lot of, it sounds ridiculous, but from the ashes of that, there's a lot of beloved characters that came from that time. Like 
there was, I forget his name, but there's a Jedi who is a private investigator on Coruscant, which sounds really ridiculous, but it's written like one of those old pulpy novels. And his whole thing is that he does cases using the force, but he's trying to hide it from people that he's doing it. He essentially gets found out because, you know, Star Wars, and then it becomes a whole thing of him being chased, trying not to be a Jedi, but being chased for being a Jedi. So I bring that up because I think about what Marvel has done with uh, the MCU, where they pretty much cherry pick from this rich history of like comic books. And I feel like Disney kind of has that in their mind of, you know, there's so many rich characters here that we could probably like pick from, from the old EU, that they might do that. Like, there's pilots who are Jedi. There's like mechanics. It, it's ridiculous. There were pre Disney buying Star Wars, there were too many Jedi. It was kind of ridiculous. Post the return of the Jedi. So, Al, what are you? Al's is like, geez, that's a lot to take in. Uh, what are your hopes or expectations for the finale? Oh, man. Uh,. I like Alex's point of them not being able to secure Baby Yoda. I'm just trying to figure out how they can do that. Yeah. And 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 what I mean, I just don't want an entire season of him chasing him. I love their continued um, <laughs> collab. No, I love their continued just relationship building within each episode, and you're not only seeing. Um, Mando become a more sympathetic character and an interesting character when he uh, is around Grogu, but also you're seeing the actual development of Grogu's childhood. So I actually really love that, and I don't want to see an entire season where Grogu is in prison or Grogu's in a lab. Like I, I don't think my heart could take that. Um, but I, I think stretching it out for another couple episodes I'm cool with. And I think that's a pretty good move and uh, it's pretty smart on Alex's part. Cause I would have just said, ah, they rescue him. Um, but yeah, no more Moff Gideon. I want to see um, if we are getting Bo-Katan, I want to see a, a Bo-Katan fighting Moff Gideon fight. I think that would be dope, but more importantly, we have to see at least the beginning conflict of Mando versus Moff or, you know, we already had that um, with the, uh, the battle, the, flight battle in the season one finale i actually kind of want to see that i want to see another awesome battle in space though i think that would be really fun so i've been thinking this whole time like how can can they continue the moff gideon storyline and he gets back baby yoda there is a way to do it and i think that's where we find out where someone finds out of Mando's team finds out about these clones and they have to go out and they have to destroy these. They, they're like trying to go after the clones. You could do that. They're chase where they're the chase is on for Moff Gideon. You could do that. I don't know if I need that in the episode. My big thing is man. Oh man. Do I want this dirty dozen inglorious bastards? Badass team up. Uh, as I said, in last episode where we're getting, you know, Cara Dune, Fennec, Boba, Mando. We're getting Cobb Vant back, which Al and Ken will be stoked for. Uh, we're getting, uh, you know, Bo-Katan and Sasha Banks and the dude uh, back with them. And they all just have a full-out, you know, caper, dirty dozen assault on this massive New Age Star Destroyer that Moff Gideon has. Um, we're, uh, you know, 
we're going to see stuff with Dr. Pershing. I think we're going to see him back, and that's going to continue this cloning storyline. The big thing, we have to have some sort of payoff with Bo-Katan and Moff Gideon, and I don't think that happens here. The Darksaber, I think, will... The Darksaber lives on. And I think that will be in Season 3. And we'll see more of her in Season 3. So, I just want to team up. I want to shoot out. And then I'm going to let Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau just tell me a tale. I don't know who's directing this one, by the way. I don't think it's been... Has it been announced yet? I don't think it has been. And I would just like to add, in regards to what Alex said... I mean, after hearing you guys talk about it out loud... I have to be honest, seeing fanboys on the internet, especially Star Wars fanboys, lose their shit is kind of a kink of mine. So I would love it if they... <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would Happy Last Jedi Day. <laughs> I would love it if they didn't get Baby Yoda at the end because the internet, can you imagine waking up on like Friday morning, the episode's already been out for a couple hours, and you're like, oh, I'll just go on Twitter a little bit, and you just see all caps of people mad. Oh, I would... I would actually really enjoy that. That very, would make me feel Christmas. And then, and then you could have like reaction videos of like little kids crying watching the episode that Baby Yoda didn't get rescued. I mean, there's there's a lot of potential there. But let me try to sell you on this idea more. So like, I totally get the idea of like, well, we don't want to separate them for too long because like Mando and Grogu have this like amazing bond. But if you did have a season three where Grogu was mostly with Moff Gideon, then you could have the opportunity to really flesh out Moff Gideon as a character, kind of like what they did on Game of Thrones when Arya is with, um, what's his face? The guy who's the dad. Um, Tywin Lannister. Tywin Lannister. Yeah. They did like a whole season where Arya was just with Charles Dance and he was just like, I'm awesome. And these are all the reasons why. And you're like, oh, cool. I'm glad that I had that time. So that would be a really smart, uh, a smart choice for storytelling potential. And, and the potentials of them trying to corrupt uh, Grogu as well. Mm, yes. So that uh, concludes our Mando part of the episode. Now it's time to move on to our closing segment which is music in a time of quarantine. No, I don't feel like singing the goddamn theme song because I am tired. Uh, so what we are doing, this is, of course, the Christmas and popular music part of the uh, of the podcast. So, Alex, we're going to start with you. What is your recommendation for this episode? Okay, so I found the best Christmas song of the year. So perfect for 2020. Song by Carly Rae Jepsen, who many people might know from Call Me Maybe. Big song, right? She's actually like a very talented uh, pop uh, singer-songwriter. And she came out with a single this uh, this fall called It's Not Christmas Till Someone Cries. And it's really, really, <laughs> it's really funny. And it's really like on point. Like part of the chorus uh, it goes, uh, the secret is to sing a little song to survive that it's not Christmas till somebody cries, <laughs> which is like, just Jesus. really feels <laughs> Um, but it's very funny. Like there's like, there's tons of lines that made me laugh a lot. Like there's one part where she goes, grandpa ate the gummies that we meant to hide. We tried to play it off. Like it's a holiday high. Oh, so. <laughs> there's nothing better and more on point for 2020 than singing about your septuagenarian grandfather eating edibles. Yeah. So it's really funny. Everyone should go check it out. It's on Spotify. My God in heaven. Rachel, what he got for us? I hope it's something from Mongolia and it's full of metal. It's not. <laughs> uh, 
unfortunately. Um, there are no, to my knowledge, uh, specifically Mongolian Christmas songs. I'm sure that there are. I I don't actually know. It's a sad statement. It's a sad statement. <laughs> um, so the song that I actually picked for a Christmas theme is uh, technically from my favorite movie in the world, which is The Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh. And recently, Disney did the thing, they did this thing with ABC where they had stars sing like Disney and Christmas songs. And yep. Leslie Odom Jr. sang What's This? And it is music to my ears. And I love it. And I have listened to it many times because I, I love him. I love his voice and him singing like, Possibly the probably the most well known song from that movie. Yeah. Um, it's just it's so good. I mean, it's what's this? So like, if you know what's this, you know the lyrics. But then just like picture Aaron Burr singing it. <laughs> and so, it's fantastic. Sophie is a huge Nightmare Before Christmas fan, so I will play that for her. We ha I have a eleven foot long uh jack skellington sleigh inflatable on my front lawn as we oh speak. i'm really jealous of that but i don't have a lawn yet you will one day a, i live in an apartment <laughs> ken what do you got for us i uh love punk music and with that i love the ramones and they have a really great christmas song merry christmas i don't want to fight tonight and it's you know pretty frivolous but you know once in a while you need a good frivolous rock song to just get through the day so i recommend that one uh during our popper christmas shows when i assume my alter ego dj father christmas i have spun that song many a time alex laughs oh. yeah i have like seasonal names when i'm a dj when it for saint patrick's day i'm dj patio furniture for <laughs> the irishman who spends a lot of time outdoors and for the summer i'm dj DJ SPF 2000, because I am the palest man alive. <laughs> what is your Arbor Day DJ name? Um, uh, that's a good name. It's a good idea. I don't have a good, I don't have a good answer, because uh, Tell Him or Do is talking right now. Um, it's DJ Let's Make Like a Tree and Get the Fuck Out of Here, which is a line from Boondock Saints. Um, Al, <laughs> I, I, I don't even know how you're my friend anymore um, after this podcast. How, what is your recommendation? By the way... I loved Christmas lights, so thank you. You're welcome. Glad to hear that. Glad to hear a recommendation uh, uh, actually worked on this podcast. Um, I I feel like I already made some controversial statements in this episode Make in another one. regards to my feelings on Rogue One. I'm going to drop another one on you guys. Uh, many say that the ultimate Christmas song is "All I Want for All I Want for Christmas Is You" by Mariah Carey. I do love that song. I do like it. But I will do you one better. I think the next in line Christmas banger to replace that song is Underneath the Tree by Kelly Clarkson. Legit banger. Uh, so that is my Christmas recommendation. Don't wait, need to wait, go any further. What's it called That's again? It. Underneath the Tree? Underneath the Tree. Uh, you probably have heard it before. It was on, a, I believe, a Target commercial during the time when the, the song came out. Like last year or two years ago, maybe. I've been in Target um, a lot, so I'm sure I've heard it. Um, well, my favorite songs are from Target commercials, so I'm, I definitely... Listen, I don't know who curates Target's playlist, but sometimes Good. it's 
pretty freaking good. No, I'm pretty sure it's the same person that does like the Apple commercials. Like, remember the Apple commercials in the heyday sure. when they would like they made the the, the earworm like. Ugh. Mm-hmm. My God. Anyway, oh, and then uh, just regular recommendation. I'm going just all in on um, being a woman this week, and uh, I absolutely love uh, Evermore, Taylor Swift's uh, surprise second album of 2020. As someone who wasn't like a crazy like like in love with folklore, but did talk about it on this podcast, and yeah, did I was gonna say this int- podcast might prove you wrong on that statement. But okay. no, I enjoyed it. I really did. I really enjoyed it. But I I I loved I loved this album way more. Um, I love it evermore. And I will Back take you to task. Will. It does not make you a woman to love Taylor Swift. I will tell you that. You no, love that, what you love. It, might, it means I have uh, two years, two ears attached to a heart. Oh, is that is to, to confirm that statement? As a woman, I do not like Taylor Swift. Uh, <laughs> why? Because she ain't metal, and she ain't from Mongolia. She's not from Mongolia. <laughs> Don't want if it's not Mongolian throat metal, get it out of here. Get, Listen, twenty twenty one. She might have a Mongolian throat album. And if she does, no. we'll be here. For you don't. Then if she does, I'm a fan. She won't yeah. be a... <laughs> I just I just want to say that Al's music uh, recommendations, especially the Kelly Clarkson song. Has made me very nostalgic for wandering the ma- a mall corridor while holding an Auntie Annie's pretzel. Oh, fucking yeah. right, man. Absolutely. Better days, man. Now wait, do you do the regular? Or do you do the cinnamon sugar? What kind of fastest do you think I am? I do the cinnamon sugar. What the <laughs> hell? <laughs> I will say, the regular is a nice change of pace. But when I discovered the almond one. Oh, that's I, the best. Almond roast. That, that's the best one. With the caramel drip. You will have diabetes in 10 years, but it is so worth it. Fuck it. Well, I'm already there, so let's not go there. <laughs> uh, I am going to go with something so random. And you guys are going to be like, I can't believe this is even a genre of music. Uh, right now, I am wearing a uh, shirt from a local, well, you can't see, um, so you guys can see it. It's, uh, it's High Tide Recordings, which is a uh, inter- now international surf music label that was started in Freehold, New Jersey by friends of the site um, who started out as just a surf music band who needed a gig. I gave them a gig at the Wonder Bar. Ten years later, internationally renowned surf music label, uh, High Tide Recordings, and they produce a band called Slowy and the Bo- Boats. And uh, they are a Hawaiian instrumental jazz band out of philly aloha y'all it's a real john i'll tell you that i just always wanted to say fucking john on this podcast i don't know what it means but i love the word um they do a complete instrumental christmas record it's called merry christmas from slowly in the boats it's volume one and two they do an amazing version of i'll be home for christmas it's when i say hawaiian instrumental jazz you're like this is just a fever dream that Bill made up while drunk. Incorrect. It basically takes all the classic trappings of jazz, infuses it with like that Hawaiian guitar sound that when you hear it, you know it, and has this great Christmas vibe, but also this great vacation Hawaiian island vibe to it. It's almost indescribable. When you hear it, it's just this wonderful... Christmas blanket that's wrapped around you that you also want to lay in as a hammock because it's just so much fun and I have to say the whole record is a great Christmas record to put on in the background when you're 
decorating the house, you're safely having Christmas dinner or doing a Zoom or whatever. Um, it's so awesome. So yeah, slowly in the boats, you can go to high-tide.com uh, and you can buy the record on there. It's also on Spotify, slowly as S-L-O-W-E-Y and the boats. So that is my recommendation for this episode. And as we come to a conclusion, let's get in our shameless plugs. Alex, we're going to start with you. You got a lot to plug, so plug away, sir. <laughs> well, a lot of it is involving stuff that you did with me. So yes. um, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Letterboxd at Media Thinkings. Uh, I also host a uh, film podcast called Cinema Joes. Uh, all fall, we've been inviting on special guests to talk to them about their favorite movies. Bill was on a couple weeks ago to talk about Point Break. Uh, it was a very Goddamn fun episode. Rhinos. You want to hear the story about when Bill met Keanu, you can uh, listen to that episode. Um, also, I am a host of two other podcasts on our uh, on Pop Break's uh, second podcast feed called Pop Break TV. Um, I host uh, TV Break with Bill. We just recorded our uh, best of the year episode, which is really fun. Uh, that should be coming out next week. I also am the host of Goodbye to All That, where we usually talk about uh, season and series finales. But this week we said goodbye to the year 2020 um, with a special guest um, where we kind of talked about some of our favorite shows that came out this year and a couple of uh, surprises. And uh, yeah, so you can also um, on Podbreak TV, we have a new podcast that launched last month called Blurred Watchers. And if you want more coverage of the Disney Investors Call, you can check that out. That's hosted by Courtney and Marshall. Um, and uh, they got in deep on like everything that was announced, not just the Star Wars stuff. They talked Marvel, they talked Pixar, they talked the Disney Princess stuff, everything. So definitely check that out as well. Ken, where can people find all your stuff online? People can find me on Instagram and Twitter as Kenami Photo. That's K-E-N-A-M-I and photo spelt the American way. God, I love saying that. And um, you can also find my lovely podcast, The New Exchange, which I am currently working on season two. I have actually spent the last two weeks recording uh the first what would be the first eight episodes out of a 20 episode season i don't understand how i'm still talking right now but it's awesome and yeah that'll be dropping in february but people can go listen to the first season which is absolutely fucking excellent rachel where can people find you on social media and the stuff you're doing so uh, people can find me on social media i'm on twitter and instagram which is at Rachel Kinesis, um, R-A-Y-C-H-I-K-I-N-E-S-I-S. I literally have to think about it when I spell it out loud. I <laughs> I when I'm spelling it. Um, at Rachel Kinesis, uh, I am also, you can find my written stuff on the Pop Break. Uh, like Bill said when he introduced me, I am the, uh, I'm one of the editors for the anime and comic review section. And I also do a podcast with one of my very good friends called Animu. We are on a hiatus right now in talks to bring it back. Um, things are a little stressful for everybody, I feel like, right now. Yep. Uh, so you can listen to all of our previous episodes, though. And, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> Alphonse? You can find me at Al Manorino on Instagram and Twitter. 
Uh, Instagram, I don't think I've posted in about two months. Um, and Twitter, uh, yeah, it's basically just this, but in tweets. Just this podcast. Very true. As for yeah. me, I am at Bodkin Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S, which is a lot of pop break retweets and stuff about wrestling because I'm just a dork. Uh, but every day I want you to check out thepopbreak.com, which is what powers this podcast. We are covering television, movies, music, comic books, pro wrestling, anime, digital trends, all sorts of stuff. Uh, we are heading into our best of 2020 season right now. We're also uh, reposting a lot of our concert photos. Yes, th- that was a thing in 2020, concert photos. Uh, the very few and far between, ranging from small cover bands at the Asbury Lanes to friggin' Celine Dion in Philly, because that happened in 2020. Um, find us on Twitter at popbreak.com, all spelled out, forward slash popbreak.com, all spelled out on Facebook. At the Pop Break on Instagram, of course, this podcast you can find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor. Same with Pop Break TV. Give us a rating, a review, a subscribe. It'd be so awesome of you. And, of course, it is the holiday season. Plenty of great charities out there, whether it's your local food bank, a local Toys for Tots charity. If you got a couple bucks, help people out. 2020 has been a shit year. So let's do the best we can just to put some smiles on some faces. So, for Alex Marcus, Ken Grandpierre, Rachel Freeman, Al Manorino, this is Bill Bodkin. we got two episodes left of this season, and we look forward to seeing you on both of those episodes.